the truth. All my hope, all my hope is in you. Now, but we need to ask the question, why is it and how can it be that all my hope is in meaning my hope for everything, my hope not just for forgiveness, and we're grateful for that, but what if my hope, all my hope for America is in you? All my hope for my family is in you. All my hope is in Jesus. Here's, here's why we can say that. Jesus made this statement. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I want you to say that back with me. Say, say that with me. All authority. Let's say it again. All authority has been given to me. Who, who has all authority? Does Washington have all authority? Does Austin have all authority? Does Hollywood have all authority? The broadcasters, major networks have all authority. Jesus said all authority has been given to me. And it's because of that, church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all our hope can be put in him because he has all authority. Now, this morning we spend a little bit of time on this, this subject that there's, there's no greater power than the power that is in Jesus Christ. There's no greater heart than the heart of the Lord Jesus. I want you to find in your copy of the Scripture, if you would, all the way just before you get to the concordance and the maps in your Bible, the book of the Revelation. It's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, revelation of who He really is and how the end of time will be played out. But in the process of that, Jesus gave these words to the Apostle John to make sure that these seven churches in Asia, as they're called, would receive. This is the one to Philadelphia, the letter to the church at Philadelphia. Jesus is speaking, and John is taking this down, and he would repeat it. Verse 7, Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. The key of David or the keys of David referenced here, most students of that passage, it comes out of Isaiah and Jesus repeats it here, references it here. It speaks of doors of earthly opportunity in this life, down here. I hold the keys of earthly opportunity. 
And he says that a part of that is that I have the power to open a door that nobody can shut. No matter what the enemy would do, no matter what corporate America would try to do, no matter, no matter, no matter, I have the power, Jesus is saying here, to open a door of opportunity, a door of earthly opportunity which no one can shut. But then he also says, I can shut a door that no one can open back up. I can shut down. I can end. I can bring to a conclusion. And no one will be able to start it up again. I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters in Jesus, the true church of the Lord Jesus in this country that we love. We find ourselves far too often, perhaps, almost overwhelmed to the point of discouragement to a level that we just want to look somewhere else at what we can hear being spoken in our nation, what we can see being done, where leaders are saying things against the Lord, against His Word, against His people, to the extent that we can wonder whether or not Darkness is going to win. Evil is going to just overshadow us. So that really our only hope is to pray for the rapture. It's getting so bad. Getting so entrenched. That maybe there's nothing left for the church to do but to just circle the wagons, dig a hole, and hold on and hope the rapture hits before Friday. I'm going to say to you. Every generation of the church has looked for Jesus to come in their day, and he hasn't yet. It's not that he won't, it's just that he hasn't, but what he, in the place of his coming to take us out of here to the Father's house and that place called heaven, in the place of that. What he wants us to walk in is not fear and not a consignment that this is the way it's going to be and evil is going to win and the only way we can expect there to be good on this earth is when we get to heaven and Jesus returns again and sets up his kingdom on this earth. But it's almost as if we give up on things down here. And I'm saying to you, and this is to the church. I want, want it to believe, want to believe that this is a truth for the church and our nation in this time, that Jesus Christ has all authority and he has the power to shut evil down. 
not to remove it completely. That's going to be heaven. But I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ has the ability to close the door on evil such that it does not proliferate to such an extent that it's as if everything is consumed with evil and darkness and hopelessness. Jesus said, I hold the keys of David, and I open, and nobody can shut, but I have the power to end, to stop, to shut, and no one can open. Now, we're going to need to go to the Word to be encouraged at that place because you're not going to get it from news channels. You're not going to get it from streams from the Internet. You're not going to get it just from listening to people talk. America's too far gone. It's, it's hopeless. There's, there's too much corruption. There's too much cheating. There's too much this, that, or the other. I just want to say to you, if left alone, that's probably true. But we are not left alone. There are millions of the church of the Lord Jesus in this nation, I believe, who are crying out, God, bear your right arm and rescue this nation that was founded upon the principles in your word, and this land was dedicated to be a place from which the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be sent and preached to the ends of the earth. America exists, I believe, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Others have come here, other, other representatives from different religions and backgrounds, or none at all. But they weren't here when it started. There were no Muslims here when Plymouth Rock was established. There wasn't. But there were a few. Not perfect. There have been sins to come up during the growth of the nation. It's not perfect. But at the core of the founding of who we are, there were men and women of God just like you who were praying for a place where they could worship the Savior, they could preach the Word, study the Word, live in a culture, live in a civilization where they were free and the government was not imposing things upon them that they could not do or they had to do. And they were praying, Lord Honor yourself. Lord Jesus Christ, not Allah, not Buddhism, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, honor yourself here, and may this be a place from which your gospel is preached to the ends of the earth. That is who we are. That is where we were founded. No apology. You can rewrite history if you want to, but you won't get very far until you find that kind of documentation in the founding of this nation. I'm, I'm saying those things in the light of what is being said against those things in our day. So where is our hope? We put our hope in Jesus, the one who has all authority, and the one who says, I have the ability to shut things down, to cause things to end, to cause things to stop, and it can't be opened up again. The power, the power to shut evil down. I want you to find, if you would, Psalm 37. 
one, one more time. We, we have looked at this passage before, but I want you to let me walk with you through some of these words of David written at the end of his life, on toward the end of his life. But I want you to notice what he just says. He keeps, he, he, it, it's a theme. Verse 1, Psalm 37, do not fret because of evildoers, be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Verse 9, for evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. In a little while and the the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who were upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked will be broken. Arms representing positions of authority realms, earthly realms of ability, power, authority. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. For the Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. Verse 20, but the wicked will perish. And the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Look down at verse 35. I have seen a violent, wicked man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him but he could not be found. David is testifying to us all these centuries later that if, if you go on record, if you live your life as though you are an enemy of the Lord, the day will come when you will be cut off. It's not that it happens overnight. It's not that it happens in the short term. Saul was that arch enemy of, of, of David and hunted him like an animal and treated him cruelly. Saul reigned for 40 years or so. That's who he's referencing more than likely. I've seen a violent, wicked man, and he's like a, he's like a tree growing in fertile soil. But then the day came... When that man was cut off, and everything that looked so permanent about him, everything that looked so unshakable, 
was cut off, and it was gone. He was gone. The influence was taken from Saul. David would say, that, that's how it is with ones who are enemies of the Lord. The Lord laughs at their arrogance because he sees their day is coming. Folks, there are ones that are in positions of authority in our nation, and I'm not speaking just politically, but you could, you could pick your camp. And there can be such a blindness, such an arrogance, such a confidence that what they're standing for is the way that everybody ought to feel, it's what everybody ought to do, when in reality, what they represent is an affront to the holy God who gave them their existence. And the testament of Scripture is your day of being cutting off is coming. There's the option of staying as an enemy of the Lord or repenting and coming with a broken heart and an open heart back to the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 55, these, uh, these words are found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts, the Lord says, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. My ways of forgiving, my ways of restoring are so far above the ways that we down here, men and women in this life, would think of restoration and forgiveness that there's not even any way to accurately, accurately compare them. Let the wicked return to the Lord, and he will abundantly pardon. So many of us could raise our hands, speaking of seasons in our lives, acts in our lives, words that came out of our mouths, things that were for a season maybe dominated and ruled over us, and then there was, thank God. We came to our senses like the prodigal in Luke 15, and we went back to the Father. We returned. We've retraced our steps. We went back home to the Father, and we found the Father merciful. We found Him abundant in His pardon and restoration. And the reason that we have not been cut off as an evildoer, which we could all testify, that's a story of a season or seasons in our lives. But the reason we weren't cut off is because we somehow came to our senses and returned to the Lord. And instead of being cut off, we have been forgiven and are being forgiven. And we're being given not just a second chance, but a millionth chance and a two millionth chance to walk again with him. I, I want you to, if you would, find the book of Daniel with me. The book of Daniel. 
sort of buried in your Old Testament, Ezekiel and Daniel write together. You'll remember, you will remember this story. This is in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son, it is believed. You'll remember Nebuchadnezzar from the destruction of Jerusalem and the deportation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Jerusalem, where they were born and had grown up, to Babylon, the capital city of that empire by that name, and where Nebuchadnezzar ruled from. Nebuchadnezzar, we'll come back to this in a moment, but he was the only king who was allowed to penetrate the walls of Jerusalem, to pillage and destroy Jerusalem, to ravage the temple, to kill thousands, carry many off into captivity, plunder the temple, and carry the temple articles that had been dedicated to the service of the Lord, put them in storage somewhere in Babylon. Daniel is there. Daniel, Daniel is in Babylon. Daniel came up in the court of Nebuchadnezzar being recognized because of his ability to interpret dreams. He was considered a wise man. He came to be the, the, the one who would be over all of the wise men, magicians as they were also called in Babylon. It wasn't because he was bowing down before the demon gods that they would worship, but it was that the one true and living God had him there, had him placed in the middle of a totally pagan environment for the Lord to show his power through this, this man named Daniel. Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, was having a party, a drinking party. Verse 2, when Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, in order that the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring, bring in the conjurers, uh, the Chaldeans and the diviners, and the king spoke and 
said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever can, can read the inscription, explain its interpretation to me, will be clothed with purple and you know, made the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 8, then all the king's wise men came near it, the writing on the wall, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king. And she, I'm just going to paraphrase some of that, she remembered Daniel. She remembered that there was a man from the exiles of the, from Jerusalem that was gifted in the place of interpreting dreams. And so she said, look down at the, the end of verse 12, let, let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation. Daniel interpreted the dream and then he spoke this application to the dream. You, you will want to read down through that if, if, you, if you desire. And uh, chapter 5 down into verse 22. Verse, and this is what that says. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. The reference was to what happened in Nebuchadnezzar's heart, his father. We'll touch on that in a moment. But you've not done that even though you knew all of this. You knew all of what had happened to your father. You knew that he came to understand that it was not to his glory that all had been accomplished through him, but it was because of the Lord's hand upon his life. He says in verse 23, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines have been drinking wine from them, and you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God, look at these words, but the God in whose hand are your life breath and your ways you have not glorified. You have not given him the glory. You have not given him the credit. The God in whose hands are your life breath and your ways. Verse 24, then the hand was sent from him, Daniel continues, and this inscription was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written. Meanie, meanie, tekel, yufarsin. And then he says, this is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. God has numbered your kingdom and God has put an end to it. That was repeated twice. This is the interpretation of the message. Tackle. You have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. What scales? The scales of heaven, not the scales of popular opinion, not the scales of the culture in this life or that life, but these invisible, but scales that could not lie, would not lie, would not be influenced in any way 
You've been weighed on those scales and found deficient. Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Many, many tackle your farce. You read over just another couple of verses, verse 30. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So here's a question. Whose hand was that writing on the wall? Well, we obviously would say, well, it was God. It was it was it was from heaven, it was supernatural. But even more specifically, whose finger was it? Who was writing on the wall? If, if, you, if you look back in, in, in the Gospel of John, you know, we, we did this last week and, or so, and we find these words in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So Jesus was the agent of creation. He spoke everything that exists into existence. Nothing was missed. Nothing small, nothing big, all of it brought back to the words of Jesus Christ before Bethlehem. He was was with God in eternity past. He didn't just come into being when he was conceived as a baby in mother's womb. His mother's womb. He was God forever in the past, just as he is God forever in the future. The Bible does not leave the conclusion about Jesus that he was just a man. He was just a social reformer. He was just a philosopher. He was just one who tried to do the The Scripture negates that. He did those things, but... He's forever been God, and he forever will be God. He emptied himself for those 33 years, but before that, he had all authority. After that, he retained, has regained, and lives in, holds in his hand all authority. The creator. The creator. Well, then you'll remember that we, we read Psalm number 8. And just that, those two, three verses, when David says, when I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, well, whose fingers? Jesus' fingers. The fingers of Jesus. The work of have the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So if it was Jesus who created everything, David says it was your fingers that created the sun and the moon and the stars and 
then we find in Exodus that it was the finger of God that wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone, then it would stand to pretty sound reason that the finger and the hand writing on the wall in Belshazzar's day was the finger of the pre-Bethlehem Jesus who says to us, all authority has been given to me. I hold the keys of David. I open and nobody can shut. I close and nobody can open. Stay with these the words again in Daniel where it says that he found Belshazzar weighed in the balance and found wanting. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. There was a point in time when the Lord Jesus put an end to a man's kingdom. It's interesting that the context here is that Belshazzar knew what had happened with his father, got it that his father was humbled, and he turned to the God of heaven. So it speaks of the heart of the father, the heart of the Savior, first and foremost, foremost, that we return to him, not that we get punished for being an enemy of the Lord, but that we be restored and we be blessed because we've returned to the God of our fathers. Daniel says, you knew what happened to your father. You knew how he was dealt with and how he returned to the Lord, but still you, you have made your own choice to do what you're doing, and the consequences are coming upon you. You are being cut off. Well, go back to Daniel chapter 4. Turn, turn back one page, and, and we, we've, we've got another one of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams going on here, and Daniel is called um, forth to give the, give the interpretation. And look, look at verse 24. This is Daniel chapter 4 and verse 24, Daniel speaking. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it, bestows rulership on whomever he wishes. Verse 26, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness and and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. 
in case there may, may be a prolonging of your prosperity, in case there comes a season of forgiveness and restoration from the hand of the Lord whom you've offended. Verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. Ruling has been removed from you. The kingdom has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind. And your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. And you will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you, just as Daniel had interpreted, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true, and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. There came the time in Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's life, where the Lord said to him, your kingdom has come to an end. Your rule is over. And the reason your rule is finished is because you have assumed that you got where you are because of your ability, because of your power, because of your strength. But you ought to understand Nebuchadnezzar. You ought to understand Belshazzar. You ought to understand Hollywood. 
You will understand ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, all of that other. That you would have not even your breath unless the God whom you repeatedly offend gives it to you. The beseeching of heaven is stop that. Don't be foolish enough to become an enemy of God. Return to him with your broken heart. Return to him in humility, and he will meet you, and he will love you, and he will forgive you, and he will finish what his plan is for you rather than you being ended because you had your plan for yourself that excluded him. I believe, folks, that the day is going to come in our nation when not only are we going to see some people removed, and though they may have been in in, in great power and great influence for a season, the Scripture says you vanish and you vanish away like cut grass. Can't even remember where it was living, where it was. But I also believe that there are going to be some, many in places of influence, places of persuasion, that are going to have a Nebuchadnezzar experience with the Heavenly Father. They're going to realize somehow, maybe it's a writing on the wall. Maybe it's a physical condition as it literally was with Nebuchadnezzar. There's a medical condition attached to his condition. It's spoken of even today. That really happens. People turn into cattle-like creatures and eat grass, and the hair grows like, like feathers on a bird, and their claws. It's a medical condition. But as a result of that, the humility which came to him enabled him to see reality as reality truly is, not who he thinks what he thinks it was. And the Lord restored him. Do you realize who? This is, this is the king who pillaged Jerusalem, the city of the great king. This is the king who sent his troops into the house of God, the place where the Holy of Holies was. He was allowed to do it because God's protection over his people had been lifted. His people had become such a moral abyss, such a decadent society that they had turned so far away from the, the one true and living God that they were allowing there to be pagan worship, godless, demonic worship going on on the temple grounds. And the Lord who had sent prophets, quit, stop, turn back to the God. He wants to bless you, not punish you. They turned that away. They mocked at them and even persecuted them. And the Lord finally said, that's enough. No more, Israel. And so that which they had counted on, the protection of heaven, the invisible wall around the people of God, was lifted. And whereas other kings and armies had miraculously been stopped from breaching the walls of Jerusalem, 
with the protection of God gone. Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian troops were able to come in and decimate Jerusalem. The, 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 the striking thing is, is, is how the Lord ended up, in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, being on the side of the enemies of the people of God, rather than being on the side to defend and fight for, as had been the case throughout the centuries of Israel's history. So far away had they drifted that the Lord took the side of the opposition. And in the midst of all of that, there, there, was, there was a remnant that was left, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and others. There, 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 it was not that, that everybody in the land was decadent, but it was enough, and it was so deep that the Lord said, they'll never, they'll, they won't turn back. They won't, they won't turn back. And so destruction came. And I know immediately you're thinking, is that where America is? Is that, is that where we are as a nation? I, it, it, it is my, my heartfelt hope that that's not where we are because I believe there are millions of folks like you out there and those of us here who are saying, God, we deplore all of the statements, all of the action, all of the legislation that has been enacted against who you are and your heart. We deplore it. We renounce it. We repent of it. And we ask you to pour out your spirit to bring back purity and holiness and righteousness and the standard of your heart to this land one more time. I believe there are millions of believers across this land grieving over the debauchery, grieving over the moral abyss, evidenced by those who speak and those who act in places of legislation. Not all, but many. And we're praying, oh God, whatever you have to do to restore your name, your glory to this land that was been founded with you in mind and your heart at the core. We ask you to do it. We're trusting that you have the power to bring an end to evil. You have the power to close doors so that no one can open them up again. And the Lord in his timing and the Lord in his way, I believe he's going to do it. I don't believe our only hope is to circle the wagons, get our rifles pointing out that way, and pray for the rapture. That that's our only hope. It's not. The way of the transgressor is hard. That David would say, they dig a hole, and they end up falling in their own hole. That, that he says, he would say, don't, don't spend all your time fretting over evildoers or being envious of what it looks like they're getting away with. You trust in the Lord, and you do good. You dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. 
You delight yourself. This is Psalm 37, 4. You delight yourself in the Lord, and even when it looks like all hell is breaking loose out there, you delight yourself in the Lord, and He will still give you the desire of your heart. Don't let the idol, don't let the God you spend the most of time trying to deal with be the evildoers. Washington, Hollywood, broadcast. You note it. Before the Lord, you disagree with it. Confess it as a national sin, but you keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that He is the one who has authority to bring an end to evil in the time he chooses, in the time he says it's time. You delight yourself in him. No matter what's going on around us, our joy is in the Lord. Our trust is in the Lord. He's faithful, even though there may be things way out around going all around us. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The context of that verse is evil doing going here, evil people happening there, evil events going on over here. But right in the middle of it is you and me standing. I'm delighting in you, Lord. You are still good. You are still faithful. You are still right. You're still right here. And you have promised that if I would delight myself in you, you would give me the desire of my heart. May we be blessed to keep the perspective, knowing that the days of evildoers are numbered. If they set themselves up as an enemy of God, that just seals their fate, unless there is that day of repenting, as it was with Nebuchadnezzar, as it was with that, that runaway, spalled, Younger son, gimme, gimme, gimme what's coming to me. Jesus tells the story. The one who opens and no one can close, the one who closes and no one can open, told the story in Luke 15 about the daddy with the two boys. And when that youngest one finally, as Jesus would say, he came to his senses. I'll go back home. I'll go to my father, not to be a son, but to be a servant. I'll be better taken care of as a servant in my father's house than trying to live out here, and I'm dying by degrees. And Jesus said in his story, when that daddy saw that boy, that rebel, who had squandered everything that had been given to him, Daddy, Jesus' words, same one who wrote on the wall, same one who wrote those Ten Commandments, same one who fashioned the universe. Jesus said when the daddy saw that boy coming, he got up and he ran. Do you hear the heart? He ran to the boy, threw his arms around kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and gave the instructions for the restoration to the family. Oh, what a story. I don't know who may be listening to this today, but the hope is 
you come to your senses and you come back to Jesus. You come back to the Lord. And you'll find him waiting to abundantly pardon and to cause your life to have more of a fullness, more, more of a sense of worth, more rest to you as a person than if you have lived your life paying no attention, little or no attention to the Lord who's giving you the breath to breathe and the ability to breathe it. That, that, that's one of the most stunning verses in all the Bible, saying to Belshazzar, you have done this to the God who gives you your life breath. How smart is that? Our arrogance can be baffling because it is so blind. I, I want to ask you to, as we finish this time together, I, I want us to go on record one more time praying for our nation. We, we are a part of this nation. We, we realize that there's sin that, can, that, that can, we, we're too much friends with in certain areas in our lives. Lord, convict us, cleanse us. But I want us to just end this time together declaring by faith that evil is not forever. Evildoers do not have all power. Jesus has all authority. He holds in his hand the ability to open and keep it open and to shut down and keep it shut. If you're at home, and you can kneel down by the couch that you're sitting in. Those of you who are here in this room, if you just want to come to the front, I want to put your head over on the pew in front of you, but let, let's show some position of prayer, and, and let's, let, let's, let's go to the Lord. Lord God of heaven and earth, King of the universe, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, we read these words. We are impacted by these words. We resonate with the blindness of Belshazzar in somehow just forgetting who you are and that you hold our life breath in your hands. We can find ourselves akin to Nebuchadnezzar and somehow thinking that it's all because of who we are and what we can do. Lord, we confess that arrogance is sin. We confess everything that dilutes a helpful, helpless, but, but, but joyful dependency upon you. We, we confess the sin of that working in our lives and working in the leadership of our nation. Lord, we ask you that in your mercy, you would show our leaders the truth according to your truth. We ask you, Lord, to open their eyes to what they need to see about themselves, about the way they've been thinking, about the way they've been choosing, wherever it has been, attack away from your heart. In your mercy, show them, Lord. 
in your mercy cause what is right in your sight to come forth from their hearts. We pray for them, Lord. We ask you to bless them with the gift of repentance. We ask you to bless our leaders with a heart that is turned toward you. And we pray, Lord, that you would extend your mercy toward our nation. There's so many ways and reasons that you could bring judgment. You could lift protection totally off of us as a nation. We couldn't ask you why if that ever did happen to full measure because we understand. We understand that the sin is ingrained. The absence of a heart for God is pervasive in far too many places in our nation. But Lord, we're asking you to please, please hear the cry of your remnant. Hear the cry of your remnant. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Hear the cry of your remnant. Send your kingdom in power. Cause your will to be done on this earth. We agree with you. We agree with you. Come, Lord Jesus. Make your home once again in this place that we call America. Send your spirit and power to our hearts. Send your spirit and power, O oh Lord, to our nation, to cities and states and houses of government and places of entertainment, production. Lord, send your spirit and power. Let there be no house that escapes. Let there be no street that escapes it. Let there be no location high or low that escapes it. Send your spirit. Mercy drops round us all falling. But for the showers, we plead. Oh God, oh God, we're asking you to do what only you can do, to rescue our nation from ourselves and set yourself again as king, as Lord, as master in the hearts of your people. In the name that is above every name. Now I want you to speak this name out of your heart. The most powerful name, the most powerful two syllables Anywhere in the universe, on any level, any dimension, say his name with me, the name Jesus. Would you say his name again, Jesus? Would you say his name again, Jesus? It is in the name of Jesus, Abba, that we ask these things, and we praise you and we trust you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Could we stand together as we get ready to leave this place? We are unique as a culture, as a civilization, in that we do have a part in the picking of our leaders. Therefore, 
it is incumbent upon us as the people of God to ask to be our leaders, those whom we believe line up as best we can see it with what his heart is. We're not asking for Sunday school teachers or just pastors or seminary professors to be in Congress. But we are asking for men and women of principle. Men and women of principle. That we would have the sense of confidence that we could say, I ask you to represent me there because I believe the best I can you are a person of principle. Do as you were led by the Spirit in that regard these next few days. And we pray for the Lord by His Spirit to be poured out on this land. He holds the key of David. He opens and nobody can shut. But thank God, he, is all, he also can shut and nobody can open. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. If we can pray with you, prayer partners, join me here. And let us pray with you, please, about the things that are of a concern to you. Pastor Walker at AlamoCity.org, streaming family, let us hear from you. If there's a word, if there's a verse of scripture, or there's something you feel like you need to pass on in the light of what you've been hearing, send that. Would love to read it, love to hear it. God bless you.